from the Jesuits of Canada and the United States, this is AMDG. I'm Mike Jordan-Lasky. When I think about reasons why I'm proud to be Catholic, the work of Caritas Internationalis is right near the very top of that list. Caritas is a global confederation of Catholic charities working to alleviate poverty, promote social justice, and advocate for the rights of the marginalized. Caritas has member organizations spread across about 200 countries and territories. It's one of the biggest humanitarian networks in the world, responding to suffering all over the planet in the name of Catholics. Here in the U.S., the Caritas-affiliated organizations you've probably heard of are Catholic Charities, which serves people domestically, and Catholic Relief Services, which works overseas. In Canada, the Caritas organization is called Development and Peace. My guest today is the brand new Secretary General of Caritas, Alistair Dutton. Alistair was just sworn in last week and elected a few weeks before that. Alistair had been serving as the director of Caritas's agency based in Scotland, which is called SCIAF. He will take over leadership of Caritas in Rome at a pivotal time. Last year, Pope Francis removed Caritas's top leaders due at least in part to low staff morale. I asked Alistair what he hopes to do in his first weeks and months as Secretary General to help promote healing within the organization. I also asked Alistair about the work of SKIAF and some of the most inspiring humanitarian projects he has seen around the world, plus why Catholics ought to care about challenges those on the margins are facing both home and abroad. Finally, as Alistair was a Jesuit himself for five years, I asked him how his formation in Ignatian spirituality influenced his life path and inspires him today. You can subscribe to AMDG wherever you get podcasts. And thanks for joining us. Well, Alistair Dutton, welcome to AMDG. Thank you so much for taking the time. How are you? Thanks very much for having me. I'm very well, thanks. So I'm talking to you just about a week after you've had some big life news uh, when you were elected to be the, the Secretary General of Caritas Internacionalis and uh, wondering what that like, that what has your week been like? Um, well, it's certainly been quite a week. I was elected, uh, I can't even, where are we now? We're Wednesday. So it was just last Monday I was elected um, and I'm absolutely delighted. It's a real honour and the trust that everybody put in me. I mean, I, I feel that. I really feel it. Um, but it was just great to be in the hall and feel everyone get behind me. So everyone wanted to come up and congratulate me and shake my hands. And, you know, that's that's a wonderful feeling, having had the family together for a week, to feel you've got their blessing as they were all going to their homes and leaving with this me with this new and amazing job to do. What were some of your first thoughts or feelings when you realized your life was going to change? Um, excitement. There's a bit of going going home. I was in Rome between 2009 and 14 as humanitarian director. So I've done this move before. It's to a different role. Um, but excitement at it. Uh, it was after I'd been, we'd been together for the General Assembly for a week. So uh, I'd been talking about this role, being asked about this role for the whole week. And so it all just kind of came together 
Um, and I was quite overwhelmed by it. I, I'm not sure it's settled in even now, actually. Sure. And it's hard for me to ask, you know, what what are you going to do, you know, when you arrive? What is your vision? I, you don't have time for that and the adjustment, certainly. But I, I do want to ask about kind of your mindset, like where your heart and mind are at as you approach this new role. Because, uh, you know, it's no secret, your election, it comes as part of this kind of highly publicized leadership change uh, for Caritas mm -hmm. after Pope Francis removed several of uh, Caritas's top leaders, some questions about morale or how the organization was being run. So kind of given that context, so what do you hope to do? Maybe not like what program you're going to start or what you're going to do right away, but how do you want to approach those first weeks or months on the job to help healing uh, at Caritas? Yeah. So I think lots of us arrived at the General Assembly with the kind of questions that you're suggesting. Um, and it could have been a difficult time um, talking those issues through. In actual fact, there was a real sense of the family coming together with a desire to understand firstly, but primarily to move on and to move on together. And so that, that was the spirit that really was in the room and amongst us for the whole week. All of the conversations that I heard and was part of, and actually the mood in the room generally, was positive, looking to the future, looking to get Caritas back under its ordinary governance and management, and then get on with the amazing work that we all do around the world. Um, so that was kind of, that, that was how we came together and how it played through for the week. And that kind of fits very much with what I see the first priorities being as I go into the role. It's about um, how we keep that sense of the family together. Um, we have agreed our strategic priorities for the next, uh, well, till 2030, actually. So those are the broad brush strokes of the types of things we're going to be doing. But I'm focusing much more on how we can work better together in order to do those things and that sense of the family. And going into the office in Rome, um, my first priority is to listen, listen, listen. So I will be meeting with um, the team there um, individually, in their own work teams and with the senior team and really trying just to hear how they are at the moment, um, to give them a time when they can talk about um, whatever they want to talk about, and to use that as an opportunity to, A, learn where things are and, and, and what I need to focus on, but help them to kind of draw a line under what's gone before and, and look to the future and be, be focused on, yeah, how we can just work together really well within the office to support the family working together. You've used that word a lot already, family. And I think I know I, there would be an intuition among a lot of Catholics that, oh, the church does a lot of good work around the world, but maybe we don't always know a lot about the specifics or how it all comes together. So if you're speaking to someone for the, the first time or kind of explaining how Caritas works and what this family is, how do you describe what this confederation is and how it works and, and what it does. What's your, your elevator pitch? You're, you're sitting next to someone on an airplane who wants to know about it. Um, yeah, so can you describe a little bit the, the family and how it works? 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, one of the reasons I use it a lot and a phrase um, that I use quite a lot during the General Assembly, so I'm trying not to do now, but I mean, Caritas really is my home, my family and my vocation. And and that's that has framed my vocation since I left the society and have been working for Caritas for the last uh, 27 years or something. So So that's where I am in it. But I don't think people do realise the enormous potential that this family has. I mean, it it is a family and you feel that, you feel the relationships when we come together. We have one of the richest understandings, I think, of how we can work collaboratively um, that I've seen. But when you get into countries, I mean, if you imagine any country in the world, but it would be familiar in the US, if you work with... Um, the structure of the church down through the the diocese, the parishes, into the different works within a parish, you can reach every part of the community within the country you're talking about. Um, And that is an invaluable source of information. It's amazing force for good. It's an incredible distribution network. If you want to get humanitarian relief into a country, we have a network that goes into every village in that country. Um, And and it's a great way of organising the more uh, longer term, the more developmental programmes. There's a, a great example, I think, that just packs the punch for me which is a few years ago, there was a, an outbreak of, uh, of polio and the World Health Organization was trying to work out how to eradicate polio. And the two countries they couldn't get their heads around were the Congo and Sudan. Uh, it was before independence. And one of the WHO, World Health Organization officials happened to be talking to the Archbishop in Juba And he said, that's fine, we can do this for you, because it was a drop of vaccine on a sugar lump. He said, if you get us the cold boxes with the vaccines in and the boxes of sugar lumps, we can get them to the diocese, to the parishes, to the catechists, out into every village, and polio was eradicated. And that's the power that the church has to do good at scale throughout an entire country. Hmm. I'm sure this work, the work of international development, humanitarian assistance you're talking about that you've been involved in in so many different places and ways is both you know inspiring as those stories you share of how all the good that we can see, but then also you're seeing the great injustice and the suffering of the world. It's right there in front of you. So I'm curious for you as someone who's been involved in this work and then has been a leader in this work and will be transitioning into that. How do you ab- avoid burnout? How do you stay uh, grounded and committed to the mission when there are very difficult things that you're facing all the time? Yeah. Um, So a lot of it is personal discipline. Um, Work hard and play hard. And I'm very, very clear on carving out the space for myself, both within each day. and then my weekends and and holiday time. So I take the time away from the stuff which is in danger of burning us out. Um, I think for me, prayer is really important in that. Um, 
I think I mentioned I'm a former Jesuit. So so that Ignatian training and that is is very important to me. Um, making sure you sleep regularly, you eat regularly, that you're doing exercise. It, you know, in some of these humanitarian settings, I've been working 18, 20 hour days, but taking the time away to step away and do the exercise and make sure you, you have that break. But then when I come away from those, um, having that downtime. So there's the kind of personal things I can do. I guess there's a bit of personality in there as well. I am who I am, right? And it's not an accident I ended up where I am, I suggest. Uh, there's a personality type. But then there's the people we serve. And honestly, everywhere I go, you can be the day of, the day after an emergency, and already people are dusting themselves up you can see the hope that keeps them going. And that's not a kind of naive optimism. It's a drive to get themselves up and work out how they're going to look after themselves and their families. Um, and there's one particular image I often have in my head, which was after the Gujarat earthquake in 2001. And I was in one of the Dalit areas of a village, and it was... That was a couple of weeks after the earthquake and their home was all but destroyed. And the women, there were four women in front of the home and the men were up in the rafters picking off the roofing tiles one by one and piling them up and then getting the beams down so that they could then rebuild the house and reuse all these materials because they couldn't start, they didn't have the money to start from scratch. But you just saw the interaction between those four women who were laughing and joking and there was real joy in their faces. And you're thinking, if you can be like that 14 days after an earthquake that has just literally raised your home to the ground and buried all your possessions. And some people had died in that village. I don't know whether any related to that household. You just think, honestly, if they can do it, we've just got to do it. Yeah, I go, I will then return to my home where everything's fine and I, I go to ground and rest. That's what I do. They had to stay in the midst of it. And I think that inspiration, these are the people who show us what real courage and strength is. Uh, this idea that people going in bring that kind of stuff. No, no, no. I um, Yeah, it's always an honour to see that enormous strength of the people we work with and to draw strength myself from it. And that is one thing about the, the Caritas model that I've learned about around the world that I, is, I think, inspiring, that it is not just people from the developed world, the, the wealthiest places coming in to say, let us show you how this works. See, it is it, it is employing and working with partners on the ground from their communities in a long-term way not this sort of well, we'll shoot into a place, be there for a few weeks and then leave. But there is that real sense of of solidarity and subsidiarity that from the, the ground up in these communities, people have the ability to uh, work on their own community in partnership uh, from around the world. So I, I, I like that part of the, the family, the network as well, that again, it, it is this, I think, a really kind of beautiful way that, you know, it's, it's working with places themselves in their own communities and relying on that as opposed to bringing our own vision in. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it's not just people from the same country who are doing this. It is, as you say, people within their own communities, within their own towns. Um, we say they were there before, during and after. There's not something... You, you, we're always looking at how best do we support those local people in their own efforts rather than how do we parachute in, um, dominate or take over. And, you know, the Nepal earthquake, I have to think when that was, I'm going to guess it was 2016, um, but about that time, I rang um, an old friend of mine who was then the director of Caritas Nepal within four hours of the earthquake, and he was already in the shops in Kathmandu digging through the rubble to get at the tarpaulins and the food that was buried, and they were distributing that the same day. It he was there in his own community, going to the shops and getting all of that um, instantaneously. And we have that everywhere in the world. We have um, the local church who is eager to look after their own people. And, and the challenge is how to express that solidarity and, and get whatever help they want to them as quickly as we can but definitely without pushing them aside or, or taking over it, it. Local people have to be the agents of their own future. We must not take over from them. Um, and that's not just a question of human dignity, although that's incredibly important. They also know what's more appropriate and what's more efficient in their own setting. So they do better work, they do it more efficiently and they do it cheaper. Um, and we need to be really good at listening to them about how best to help them in that, rather than, as I say, kind of setting up something in parallel to it or taking over. Ask a similar question kind of in this space of this collaboration. And I, when I worked in a diocese and was a social justice director, and we'd go and speak to, to parishes about all kinds of things, including Catholic Relief Services and the work overseas with other places. And every once in a while, you would hear from a person of very goodwill who would say something to the effect of, we know we have so many problems here at home. Shouldn't we focus on that as opposed to uh, supporting these things overseas. And I would have my response to that. But I'm curious for you, I'm sure you get asked those questions. Um, what from our faith do you think kind of draws us out to have that kind of that both and uh, vision, but to to care about our sisters and brothers who we'll never meet, who live in uh, completely different places from ourselves? Yeah, I mean, charity begins at home, but it doesn't end there. Um, you know, and we have... Um, throughout the Christian tradition, through the Gospels, through the early life of the church, um, through the structure of the church, a, a very firm commitment that the church is there for all peoples. I mean, that was the, the whole discussion between Peter and Paul about whether you stayed with the Jews or you went to the Gentiles as well. And that doesn't have an end. Um, and if you take the story of the Good Samaritan, you know, one of the parts of that story is that the Samaritan was the absolute detested. They're, they're way beyond our shores. These are the people who, who we don't know, we don't like, but they are the ones, and interestingly in that story, then it's the ones who don't, we don't know and don't like who minister to us, not us to them. 
So there's an interesting twist in that. But I think throughout this, it is um, go make disciples of all the nations. And, and that whole sense of by bringing God's love through the way we work, that is an act of evangelization of the heart. I mean, it, it's, you know, I forget who said it, you know, pray, pray all the time, occasionally use words. Well, do good all the time, occasionally use words. You know, this is by our fruits that will be known. Um, but I, I think it, it, it would be very, very difficult to find anywhere, I think, in the Christian tradition that says, actually, it's fine. Just stay at home and look after the, those immediately around you. I, I, I can't see a reading of that. I completely understand it. I mean, I think there's a really interesting dilemma for us at a human level that the people we know and love are the people we feel the greatest bond to and the greatest duty to look after. I mean, I think there's something very true in that. But equally, um, the transcendence of the Christian message draws us beyond that. I think those, those very human connections of love teach us how to do it but it doesn't limit us as to where to do it. Hmm. I, I am curious then if you might be able to share any story from your current work at, at Skiaf uh, that you are proud of, you think kind of shows uh, the church in Scotland uh, uh, on, on mission in a, in a way that inspires you uh, as you prepare to, again, transition to the, this new role. Share with us a little bit of one or a couple of different projects that you think are uh, really exciting. Um, sure. The trouble is there's so many, you probably could have me far too long. Um, but just in February, I took our new president, uh, president Bishop Brian McGee, from uh, the Diocese of Argyle and the Isles. Um, I took him to Ethiopia um, to visit the work of, of the church in Ethiopia. I think there are two elements of that that I am super proud of and really demonstrate the the way we work and the quality of what we do. And the first is we were just there um, to visit the local church. So the Bishop of Adigrat and Adigrat Diocese covers all of Tigray. So his whole diocese has been under siege for two years. Uh, they've been completely isolated. And we just got him and his priests all together one evening and they were just telling the tales for the first time of what they'd been living with. And I think, so the first thing I'm proud of is that level of partnership and solidarity that sits with people and hearing their story is enough at that level. Yeah, it, it was the, that, yeah, that global solidarity, that sense of a family that takes the time to care and listen while be, still being focused on the need of the people all around. And, and that's the kind of work that you get on with during the day almost. And then just as I was finishing our time there, or we were finishing our time there, um, I insisted on visiting one of the projects uh, that I'd seen before, where um, prior to the project, and these would run, this project was run about 13 years ago. So the first thing is it's lasted 13 years and it's still running really well. So there's a real sustainability win there. Um, but we started working in valleys that were completely dry. 
had been completely deforested. Every time it rained, the rain just ran off in hours and then they were left dry for the rest of the year. Um, and we'd done a lot of work on capturing the rainwater in dams and replenishing the water table. Uh, and where they where it had been a dry valley, now there is a river 12 months of the year. And off that, we had done irrigation channels. So we'd managed to irrigate large areas of land either side of this river. Um, and whereas previously they would have one harvest if they were lucky, if the rains were good, now they get three harvests a year. And after two years of siege, when no supplies could get into Tigray, this valley and the other 15 that we'd worked in 13 years ago had provided a large amount of the food that the people survived on for those two years. Um, so it was it's a great project in terms of how you can really bring, literally bring the land back to life, but it fed people through two years of siege. And, it, and that was just amazing to see. It almost sounds biblical, you know, prophet Ezekiel in the sense of like the, the river and the, the city and the, the, the nourishment and uh, kind of God working that way. Uh, the Bible powerful. didn't stop at the end of the New Testament, you know. Hmm. Uh, I am uh, too curious, since this is the, the Jesuit show, to ask you a little bit about your own journey and how uh, the Jesuits, you were a Jesuit and then been involved with Jesuit refugee service and, and other Jesuit things and how Ignatian spirituality, your experience with the Jesuits kind of uh, has influenced your own life. Yeah, thanks. Um, I was a Jesuit for, I say, five years. It, it, it depends how you, how you work it out. But anyway, about five years. So I was a scholastic. I'd taken vows um, and I was uh, doing my philosophy in Oxford when I left. And those five years were an enormous privilege, time of enormous privilege to me and really set me up. Some of that, how do I keep going? What is my lodestone? All of that, what drives me, what sets my compass, all of that really was formed in that Ignatian spirituality during the, the t well, Ignatian spirituality over many years, but that chunk of time was really significant for me um, and continues to be. Uh, so literally the, the week before, um, uh, yeah, the week before I went to the General Assembly, I was just finishing my eight day retreat at the at St. Bino's retreat house in North Wales. And that was, I knew that was the right way to prepare for the General Assembly. It was a, a wonderful retreat and it really did put me in exactly the headspace I needed. And it held me there for the entire General Assembly. Um, so it's still very much with me now. Um, while I was a, a novice, uh, I did my long experiment. I don't know whether you, you know, but in the second year of the novitiate, we would tend to do a placement that's about three or four months long. And I was asked to, uh, to work for JRS in Nepal with refugees from Bhutan. Um, with a, a wonderful British Jesuit called David Townsend, who was out there um, and, and was really overloaded. So he just wanted the support. And that was my first time 
working overseas and in international development or refugees and humanitarian. And at that point, it kind of got its talons into me. And it, and the next couple of years was a time as I was discerning, was, was my vocation a priestly vocation or was it to work more in, in the area of international development, uh, humanitarian? Um, and as part of that journey, um, I concluded that it, that it was to, to work more in Caritas. And if I was going to do that, um, I'd quite like to be married. Thank you. So I made that journey. But I've, I described the Jesuits as my Hotel California. You can check out any time you like, but you never leave. Um, and I have many, many friends to this day in the British province still. Uh, and I've been involved with Jesuit refugee services in the UK on their board. Um, but I've also got friends who are Jays throughout the world. And there's always a special connection with them whenever I, we come together. There's, there's just a, a shared spirituality, a shared formation. Um, I always find it really interesting, but there's always something where you can just go to a slightly deeper register um, because we have that shared past. Are there other elements from your formation or Ignatian spirituality in particular? You know, I, or I think of, you know, even the leadership of Pedro Arupe, I think really bringing the society to, until they talked about, you know, men and women for others, a faith that does justice. I think really trying to make those connections strong. Uh, are there any specific elements from the, the spirituality or the history or, or saints or anything from, uh, that you find to be specific, like specially uh, important resource in your own spiritual life from that Ignatian tradition uh, as you go out to do the work you do? I mean, I think the stuff you talked about with Pedro Arupe and, and the whole faith that does justice, I think there was a real energy around that, particularly at the time I entered. Um, Arupe had unfortunately died. I, I entered in the time of um, Peter Hans Kolvenbach. Um, but there was all of that energy around Arupe and, and that commitment. And it, 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 it was palpable um, in the province where I was and it had quite a bit to do with the Irish province as well. Um, and particularly in the younger ones. Um, it was a large part of why I thought the Jesuits was where I wanted to be um, and that commitment to it. And that's kind of lived on. And so... Um, that's a, yeah, that probably the and the time we spent reflecting on that and what it meant to be men of action, men for others, um, with a faith that does justice. Those were really part of that, the novitiate and the, the time we spent talking uh, among ourselves. And that stayed with me. I mean, I think just the life the spirituality that i developed through my time um with the jays um and in the build-up to it i'm i'm one of those unusual ones that didn't go to a jesuit school they got me through a random uh connection later on but so that spirituality was quite new to me as i was get first getting in contact with them um I think, you know, many people would say, but I think that practice of the examine of seeing where God is in the world for me today um, and how best I can respond to that 
is a discipline that continues to to focus and direct. Um, there are some. I, I love just the the sheer audacity of some of the the early Jesuits that you know and those stories. Not only the early Jesuits. I mean, just on on Monday night there. Um, I was watching the latest film about the the murder of the six Jesuits in San Salvador, and that sense of um, men, and it is men, of course. I, I, <laughs> it is men. The, uh, the Ignatian family is men and women, um, but who were just going to do these crazy things because they believed the kingdom was worth it, um, and the stories of those. Um, I think many of them would have driven me up the wall, but the stories and the things they did, um, yeah, continue to inspire. And so you still, I still find myself going, oh yeah, that's like so-and-so, or that's like so-and-so. There is one uh, Jesuit in particular uh, who cares about a faith that does justice, who you'll be working with. It's Pope Francis, of course. Um, and I, just for for you coming into this role and being connected with him and watching and participating in his own leadership of the, the church for you. Like, what do you take from him? What are his uh, kind of core messages that have resonated for you as you begin this, this next stage of leadership? Um, I was in the square the night Pope Francis was elected um, and it was an amazing moment. And it's, it was immediately apparent that there was something different going on, um, you know. And those early stories where he he rang uh, the the hotel reception and and you know they nearly fell off their chair, those kind of things. But a, a man who didn't stand on ceremony, there's no ego. It really is about what he believes is right in the world, um, and you felt that mood change and he is absolutely passionate about caritas and the work of caritas um so i think very generally he's just been he's really affirmed the role of um the social apostolate and social justice as an essential element of of, of the church and um, i love his stuff about we've just got to be on the periphery we can't be where it's safe we've got to be bruised and dirty um we've got to be putting ourselves in harm's way because that's where the people on the periphery are and that's if that's where they are then that's where we need to be and i think that was that goes back to that whole spirit of arupe um was we have to be out on the lime and out on the edges of society not not staying in the safe spaces um but going out where we are going to get hurt and that sense of a poor church for the poor but a simplicity um which is absolutely focused on on the poorest and, and most vulnerable in our midst well, Al Dutton, thank you so much for taking the, the time to talk. Congratulations. Uh, you know of our prayers for you here from the, the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the U.S. Uh, as you can, uh, move on to this this next stage of your, your vocation and mission. Great. Thank you very much for having me. It's been a pleasure talking.
AMDG is a production of the Jesuit Conference of Canada and the United States. And when we're not working from home, the show is recorded at our headquarters in Washington, D.C. AMDG is edited by Marcus Bleach, and our theme music is by Kevin Lasky. The Jesuit Conference communications team is Marcus Bleach, Eric Clayton, Megan Leepsch, Becky Sindelar, and me. Connect with the Jesuits online at jesuits.org, on Twitter at Jesuit News, Instagram at We Are the Jesuits, and Facebook.com slash Jesuits. Sign up for weekly email reflections by visiting jesuits.org slash weekly. If you or someone you know might be called to discern a vocation to the Jesuits, connect with the Jesuit vocation promoter at beajesuit.org. Drop us an email with questions or comments at media at jesuits.org. You can subscribe to the show on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And as St. Ignatius of Loyola may or may not have said, go and set the world on fire.